Welcome to the Watermark Equipping Podcast, a conversation about faith seeking understanding from Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. Your hosts are Dr. Orrin Martin, the Senior Director of Equipping here at Watermark. Howdy, y'all. And me, Caitlin Van Wagner. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey, y'all. Welcome back. We are here. I'm here, Caitlin. Orrin is here. And we have with us on today's episode, Timothy Atik, our lead pastor of Vision and Preaching, is with us for our first episode of season two. We're excited about it. A little bit about, just to set the context, um, we are actually releasing this in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're doing here at our church, uh, Watermark, in Dallas. And so we wanted to give, this is going to be a little bit of a companion episode to that initiative. And so today, we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. So I want to start out with TAA. Welcome. We're glad What's you're up, here. Guys? Hey, hey, we're so glad you're here. Um, T.A., why don't you give us a little bit of an overall vision for why we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting for our church. We just ended a sermon series on prayer. Talk us through a little bit of that vision before we get into the episode. Well, so um, the elders and I, we really see 2024 as a really important year just for our church. We started the year casting vision of, hey, here's who we are. Here's who we want to be. We kind of clarified what we feel like God's calling us to. And um, and we feel like the best thing that we can do is first, before we activate on anything else, is just to call our people to pray. Like we we have we are convinced that there's nothing more important that we can do individually and corporately than to to pray, to seek God together. And so what we want is we want to see the body come together and just enjoy God together, to seek His face together, to to see what the Lord wants to do in our lives as we gather together and and seek them through prayer. So if that's to set the stage for 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, we've done a sermon series that would kind of went before this. And so, Oren, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today specifically on this episode? Yeah, so as I was thinking about, you know, the emphasis on, on prayer that we want to uh, bring before our church, and, you know, I was thinking about preachers always have more to say than what they say in their sermon. I uh I imagine that's true of TA, and so I just thought it'd be really great to be able to drill down, uh, maybe di- double-click on some things uh, to uh, to get more in-depth on on uh, maybe questions the congregation has or how we can better help equip our people to pray. Great. So today we're going to be answering some specific questions that came um, kind of after the sermon series, so we will link to the sermon series in the show notes, and so that can be something that you listen to before, but let's get into it. So, T.A., we've been working on this project, 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. You kind of led us into this vision for it in the fall. And one of the things I've been struck by that you've said consistently and that you also just said now is that one of the goals that you have that the elders have for the sermon series and for 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting is you want us to enjoy prayer and fasting so that we might enjoy God more deeply. And that wasn't candidly something I expected you to say that a goal was that our members would enjoy praying and fasting. Why is enjoyment part of the equation? Why is that important? Yeah, well, I, I just think, you know, when you look in the scriptures, you you see people delighting in God and enjoying God. I think about David saying in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is mm-hmm. good. He uses imagery of food because Food, you think about the the taste of something sweet and enjoyable. And, you know, in your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forever, evermore. That's Psalm 1611. Like he uses words of delight in God. And yet I think, you know, uh, a mentor of mine, he said, if I were to sit down with you and just say, hey, what's one word that describes your relationship with God? What word would it be? 
It probably wouldn't be delight. Well, all the he, time. <laughs> his point is, what if the word that came to mind was enjoyable? Yeah, it's that'd enjoyable. Be awesome. Yeah, and I think that that's, I think that that's what God wants for us, for us to enjoy Him, to delight in Him. You know, David says in Psalm thirty-seven, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." And I think that God delights in us and wants us to delight in Him and. And and what I've just experienced in my own life is that I struggled with prayer for 40 years of my life. And then the Lord and I shared about this from the stage, but it was honestly, it was through discovering that prayer is, it is honestly the primary pathway to greater enjoyment of God. And so I, I want that, our elders want that for our body is, is just to take a step, not towards greater discipline, but honestly, toward greater enjoyment and delight of God, because that's what's going to transform this place, is when people aren't just more disciplined, but that when people are seeing Jesus more clearly and enjoying him fully. Why do Why do you think we—I mean, maybe it's—I'm overgeneralizing, but for me, I would say oftentimes the first word that comes to my mind is not enjoyment when I think about my relationship yeah. with God. I've, I wonder if that's common, and I wonder why. It feels like the word discipline, yeah. a discipline and practice— come to mind more? Why do you think that as modern-day believers, we don't enjoy God primarily? That's not the first thing that comes to mind. Well, I mentioned this from the stage, but um, it was helpful in in uh, Enjoying Your Prayer Life by by Michael Reeves. He just talks about how our, uh, our prayer life has an enemy. And I just think our relationship with God, we have an enemy who seeks to steal from us and kill and destroy. He's prowling mm-hmm. around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Like his his greatest win is for us to have a small view of God. So if we have a small view of God, we're going to have a small response to him. What a, what a win for us to believe that our relationship with God is something we have to do instead of something that has been given to us as a gift for us to, to enjoy. So the reason that we we boil our relationships with God down to discipline is simply because I I think the enemy has been so effective in lying to us about who God is mm-hmm. that we we see him as someone we have to discipline ourselves to be with because if we didn't have that discipline he's not the type of person that you would naturally want to be with. Wow. You Man, know? and we're missing out on so much. Yeah. And that makes me kind of sad that I've missed out on a lot before we started. So I'm excited about this journey, like personally, really excited about what it looks like. Yeah, and I think you know, I think even when I've taught on spiritual disciplines, I don't call them spiritual disciplines anymore for that reason. I actually call them habits of grace. Oh, really? Be- yes, because um, it because it takes away the kind of that that uh, that misnomer, right? That, that it is a dis. Oh, it's a, it's a drudgery, duty. right? It's a duty or it's drudgery to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and no, this is actually a gift of grace, and and God gives us this gift. I mean, I just think. You know, in my own life, for our, for our listeners, they've heard my testimony. My father passed away when I was 18. And so when I read the words of Jesus when he teaches his disciples how to pray, our Father in heaven, I just think what a gift that is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought of a, a, a quote by J.I. Packer in his great book on knowing God. He says, uh, if, if you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, uh, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. Mm. And prayer is such a wonderful display and experience uh, as as God's children to call God not just 
the God or the Father, but He is our Father. You know, Luther says that's the essence of Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, is it's found in possessive pronouns. He's not just the God and the Father. He's not just the Lord and the Savior. He's our God and He's mm-hmm. our Father. Yeah. He's our Lord and our Savior. And I don't ever want to take that for granted. And prayer is a wonderful reminder of the privilege that we have as His adopted sons and daughters in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right, let's get into some questions as we think about as a supplement to the sermon series. So one of the things, um, Oren, I've heard you specifically quote Calvin, who said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Yeah. And that's a bold claim. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, what I like about that quote is it, it kind of removes the the mystery, so to speak, out of prayer. You know, people hear prayer and they're like, oh, uh, well, what, what, what should I say? What do I have to do? I already feel guilty because I know I don't, I don't pray enough. Uh, what do I need to do to pray more? I mean, just all these questions can, and, and I'll just be honest, like TA, uh, for the majority of my Christian life, I mean, those, those were kind of my thoughts and that was my approach to prayer. Uh, that, that lent itself to think, of, oh, prayer is just a duty or it's a drudgery or something that I have to do. And, and you know, what I love about that quote is it actually, it actually connects it to Christ. So prayer is the way that genuine faith or saving faith in Christ expresses itself. Uh, that, that is, in prayer, we depend on, we, we adore, we, we ask, we confess uh, sin to, to God, our Father, through uh, His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who made a way for us to do those things. And, and so we get to enjoy all of the benefits uh, of of what he's given us in Christ by his spirit. And and so, you know, when I think about, um, you know, how, how do I want to, to fuel my prayer life? Well, I want to fuel my prayer life by fueling my faith. Well, how do I fuel my faith? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so the way I fuel my faith is I set my mind and, and I fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. And as, and as I see his, his beauty and I see his truth and his glory and all all that he is and all that he's done for a sender like me to reconcile me to God and so on and so forth and give me the gift of his spirit. Uh, man, that that's the chief exercise of faith is prayer uh, because the the overflow of of my trusting in Christ uh, is is talking to God mm-hmm. and listening to God. Uh, and and so, you know, I think that's really helpful. You know, Michael Reeves, you know, T.A. Just, just quoted him. He also said that that prayerlessness is practical atheism. What does that mean exactly? It means that when when we don't pray, it actually displays that we that we don't believe in God, uh, because true saving belief in God expresses itself in in talking to Him, in communing with Him, in listening to Him, in praising Him, in thanking Him, in uh, in asking Him for for things in our lives. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right, so you've both talked a little bit about sometimes if prayer can, has felt burdensome or a duty. So what do you do if right now where you are with God, you don't think of enjoyment first? You think of it as being burdensome or a duty or something you have to do. How would you address that? Or in how, what do you think you'd do first? Yeah, well, you know, my first answer would be uh, to to read through the Gospels and just ask the question, uh, how do I see Christ and what do I see Christ doing in the Gospels? Uh, and and that just gives me a picture of his of his love, his mercy, his compassion, his his saving works to forgive sin and and make blind people see and and lame people walk and you know all these kinds of things and and so I'm putting my before myself a a, a, a picture of, of Christ that that fuels my thankfulness um, because he didn't do that uh, just because he was bored right mm-hmm. he did that for us and for our salvation. 
And, you know, I, one of the stories I love is, is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, you know, he tells his disciples, hey, y'all, y'all stay over here. I'm going to go and pray. It's the night before he's going to be crucified on the cross. And, you know, he, he, he pours out his heart to God as Father, you know, saying, if, if you can let this cup from, you know, pass from me, this cup of, I'm about to drink of God's wrath for, not for my own sin, but for other sin, if, if this cup can pass from me, then, then let it be, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that as he goes and checks on the disciples multiple times, his disciples are, are, are sleeping. His disciples are failing to do the very thing that Jesus asked them to do, which is pray. You stay over here and pray while I go and pray. Mm-hmm. And they fail to do it. And what does Jesus do? He One, he goes and prays. But what are the words of his prayer? The words of his prayer are actually how he instructed his disciples to pray back in Matthew chapter 6. Which your is? kingdom come, your will be done okay. on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, his disciples in that moment were failing to pray. And what does Jesus pray? He prays in their place. The very words they should have been praying, mm. he prayed for them. Mm-hmm. And so really he's, you know, even in that act, he's their substitutionary prayer that that he's doing what his disciples failed to do. And so what that does for me is it actually uh, it, it empowers me to pray. Jesus, thank you for doing that in my place so that now I have access to the Father mm-hmm. and now I can come to you in prayer. Knowing that you answer Jesus according to your perfect will, you will also, because of what Jesus has done for me, uh, you will also answer me according to your perfect wisdom and love and care and compassion and goodness. So if is a way to say that back to you, just to make sure I'm understanding, if, if I'm struggling to have my heart engaged in prayer, if it feels like duty or burdensome, I should start with adoring Christ and what he's done, and that will help engage my heart in the process. Is that a way to think about it? Yes, and not, you know, not simply, you know, not just adoring Christ for who he is, which we ought to, right? I mean, God the Son, the the eternal Son, took on flesh, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, why did he do that? He, He did that so that he could accomplish for me what I could not accomplish for myself, right? Mm-hmm. He, he came to do for me what I could not do for myself. He died the death I deserved to die for my sin. He paid the penalty I should have paid and couldn't, but he was raised from the dead so that through trusting in him, now I can have life. I can experience, you know, like he says to his disciples, I came that you might have my joy and that in me, your joy might be made full. So, you know, as I'm remembering one, who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me and for my salvation to reconcile me to the Father so that I can utter those precious words, right? My Father, our Father who is mm-hmm. in heaven. Uh, that that begins to to kind of stoke the 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 flames, right? Of gratitude, uh, even yes, of yeah. gratitude, of, of thanksgiving. God, thank you, because I was once an enemy, a, ch- a child of wrath. Now I'm a ch- I'm a child of mm-hmm. God in Christ. That's okay, amazing. So if you're struggling to engage your heart, start with meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Yeah, and fix your saying. eyes on Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm going to ask a really potentially um, basic question, but if God is sovereign, and maybe Ta, you can help this one. If God is sovereign, why? Why do we pray? Why do we need to pray? A way to think about that is, well, he's already decided what he's going to do, so why do I need to ask him to do certain things? So this is something that I've had to wrestle with in my own journey Mm -hmm. because I think one of the reasons that I struggled with prayer is that I just lived with the thought of, like, God is sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do. So I can pray, but he might not do what I want him to do. And Or I might not pray, and he still does what what I think is good. Mm -hmm. And... um. I think what was really helpful for me to realize is that part of God's sovereign plan is for his people to pray. Like he, God is most glorified when his people seek him and he responds in his perfect way and people, 
experience his goodness, whether he answers the prayer that they prayed or God sustains them in the midst of tragedy, even though he didn't answer the prayer how he wanted him to, in God's sovereign plan is for his people to seek him in in prayer. And so, um, there are times where you ask God of something and you're asking in accordance with his will and he and he acts mm-hmm. in his action it it's a response to our prayer even though it was in a sovereign plan and just think about how is God most glorified well we ask he moves and we say thank you that's the greatest mm. way that God is glorified as opposed to we do nothing God does something and we might or might not say thank you for it. Is that because it demonstrates he's re- uh, part of it is that he's a relational God? Is that part of it, the equation? Absolutely. I mean, that that's a tension that we we live with in Scripture is that he's completely sovereign. He sees the end of time and the beginning of time at the same time, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. And at the same time, you've got, you've got stories in Scripture that people pray, and it's like God responds to them mm-hmm. praying. And so we, we hold those things in tension that God— wants us to pray. So we should pray. And God responds to prayer. And at the same time, God is sovereign and he's going to have his way. So you're saying that there's a tension that both can be true, that God can be sovereign and that God can respond to our prayers. And I and I would add in a, another tension to it. That, oh no. What's the third? That I, I believe that there are times where God will delay in moving for lack of people praying. Okay. And yet, He's sovereign and will always have his way. But the the reason that what what I'm trying to convey is that God is big enough to be completely sovereign, that he is going to do exactly what he's going to do. And within that sovereignty, he can delay in moving until his people pray because part of his sovereignty involves his people seeking him through prayer. He is big enough. To carry all three of those tensions that I heard, I heard that he is, he is big enough to be sovereign over all that happens, to respond. To, part of his sovereign plan would be to re- that he will respond to people in prayer and delay moving until his people pray. In in the in the one thing to add is like God is passionate about His glory. Like God is going to be glorified. So, if you just work the equation from a human perspective, how is God most glorified? It's through people seeking him in prayer, whether he does what people want him to do or not. Mm-hmm. Like, So we have to align our hearts with God's hearts that that we will be most satisfied when he's most glorified. So as a follow-up to that, what, do you, what, what would you say to somebody who's sitting and waiting for a prayer that hasn't been answered yet or it's answered differently than they prayed? How do I think about that? If I'm waiting, if if I have an unanswered prayer, yeah, and I, I mean, let's just and I acknowledge it from the stage, but one of probably the main reason that people don't pray is because they've had an experience with praying and God not answering. That that's probably the main reason that people don't pray. This is where we have to have an understanding of the goal of prayer. You know that, and this is what we've said from the stage that the. The goal of prayer isn't just to get more from God, it's to get more of God. So I think about a friend of mine, a friend of Orin and mine, who was uh, going through an extremely difficult season, very difficult season, was um, taking, I mean, 
he was under fire in his work. People were coming after him. He was having significant issues with kids at home. Like it, it was a, he was going through a horrific time. And I saw him and we were talking about it. And what he said is, if the goal is in suffering is to get more of God, then that has been accomplished. Like it, not everything's been resolved, but he's like, the goal is I've gotten more of God. I've, I've experienced him more. He's tasted and seen that the Lord is good, even in the midst of the difficult times in life. And so that's where we have to realize like the goal of prayer isn't just to get something from God, to ask him and then him respond. That's a vending machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, God isn't that. And so there are going to be times where God does not do what we want him to do. And yet, that doesn't mean that God is doing nothing mm-hmm. when we're praying. It it might be that God is is giving us more of himself in a way that, you know what? The fact that you're still standing in the midst of the tragedy you're in, there's no other way to explain it except that God has sustained you through the darkest nights of your life. And that is the kindness of God. You know what I'm saying? So I th- I just think it's zooming out and having that perspective that, you know what, like, what if you don't pray and life is tough, like, I think about Peter's words, it's a different scenario, but in John 6, what does he say? He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like, what are your options? Yeah. If, if, if. If life feels uncontrollable, you can either try and control it, and that's not going to work, and you can be miserable, or you can seek the only one who is, who is in, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, 1, like the Lord is in control, so you can seek him. It, it makes me think of, you know, um, a dear friend of mine that I've taught and pastored with back in Kentucky. Um, he's a New Testament scholar, Tom Schreiner. Uh, if you know me for any length of time, he'll probably come up in one of my sentences. But I remember his wife uh, was in a bicycle accident and was in a coma for weeks, and it was terrible. And, I, you know, I was there 20 minutes after he got to the hospital, and he just said, Oren, the best preparation for suffering is good theology. And, you know, it makes me think of the the best preparation for unanswered prayer is good theology. And what I mean by that is make it, and T.A. just said this, make it your aim to know God. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And so if we really want to taste life, we we taste life in knowing the God who is life and the God who has given us life through the resurrection of life, Jesus Christ, and has given us the spirit of life to indwell us. And so, you know, as we know this God deeply and as we enjoy this God and the life that he gives to us in Christ, then when unanswered prayer comes, uh, th- then we're gonna we're gonna trust him, right? So you know the best preparation for unanswered prayer is is to know God, study His attributes, buy books on His attributes, study His goodness and His love and His compassion and His mercy and His patience and all the things, right? Uh, and and then I would say again, remember Christ, right? The, the very one who in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, "Take this cup from me, mm-hmm. yet not my will, but Yours be done," right? So it in some sense that was an unanswered prayer. Take this cup from me. But yet, it was for that very purpose Jesus came to drink that cup so that he could guarantee that God could answer our prayers perfectly in accordance to his perfect wisdom. So we can trust him. And I love that we that we 
have in Christ an example of yeah. somebody who experienced unanswered prayer. Yes. So he can talk about empathizing. With you. Yeah. yeah. We'll have a high priest who cannot yes. empathize I hadn't with our thought weaknesses, about that. but one yeah. who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. That's incredible. And it's because of that we can draw near to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help us in time of need. Mm-hmm. So if we're sitting with a friend who's experiencing waiting or experiencing unanswered prayer, or if we ourselves are, what I'm hearing is we can be tempted to focus on what we're not, we haven't gotten yet and instead focus on what God is already giving us. That's right. And I, I mean, I think we see that in David and the Psalms. Go read the Psalms. That that can be a great comfort because you see David going back and forth between like God's answered his prayers and then the next Psalm, he's like, God, where are you? You know, <laughs> And uh, but look at the God that he knows in the midst of all that. He knows a God who is a rock and a refuge and a shelter and a stronghold, you know, a helper. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it's through the the pendulum of answered and unanswered prayers that David experienced the richness of the character of God. And maybe you know, if you're a listener, you know, I think of there's a great you know uh, preacher in in London in the 20th century, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, and he had this phrase where he would say, "Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself." What does that mean? And what he, thanks for asking. Okay. He would say, you know, a lot of times when we're in those seasons where you're experiencing unanswered prayer, maybe you're praying for a lost child, maybe you're praying for you know, your own health or somebody else's chronic illness or, you know, some kind of suffering. He would say in in those moments, it's easy to 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 kind of go down the, you know, the 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 hole of, you know, where's God? He doesn't love me. Is he there? He's absent. And and so he would say that's listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost you know I mean this is it's Psalm forty two and forty three. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you burdened within me? And and you know you could kind of sit there and sit and wallow in that and listen to yourself. But he says no, instead talk to yourself, preach to yourself. And it's the very next line of the Psalm forty two and forty three. It's hope in God for He's my salvation. So you're, you're preaching, you're talking to yourself with God's very word that assures us that God is in control, that he loves us, he's working for our good, he's conforming us more to the image of Christ, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, switching gears a little bit to a slightly different topic related to prayer. I want to talk about corporate prayer. So earlier this week, we had someone within our body who a child experienced an accident, and so a group of people got up and came up to the chapel and for an hour sat and prayed and sought God together on behalf of this child. Is there something special about corporate prayer when believers come together? That's a common practice of the church and pray. Talk a little bit about what that, where that comes from or the importance and why that is a different aspect to individual prayer. Why is corporate prayer different? Yeah, I I think that, um, I think corporate prayer is one of the ways that the that the family of God stays healthy. You know, we just looked at, on Sunday, we looked at prayer in the book of Acts in the early church. And when you combine that of what the Spirit of God was doing through the early church, it was this, prayer is what unified, that's one of the that's one of the things that the Spirit of God does is the Spirit unifies God's people. So I think about moments in the book of Acts like where Peter's in prison and uh the believers are devoted to prayer together. They're praying for Peter. And then Peter just knocks at the door because mm-hmm. the angels busted him out. So how great is that? That it's like, in God, we pray for Peter. You know, like, and then he opens the door. And it's like they get to experience the joy together of God moving. Or, you know, they 
were experiencing persecution, and so they cry out to the Lord together, and then the Spirit shakes the room that they're in, and their their confidence is bolstered together. Mm-hmm. You know, the the bottom line is one of the the most beautiful realities of the gospel is that we haven't just been saved from our sin; we've been saved into a family. We now are a part of a body. You think about a physical body where Christ is the head, like we. We are wired to fit together and to experience the goodness of God together. And prayer is one of the ways that that we get to do that because we get to hear other people pray. I know that I'm encouraged when I just listen to Oren pray. I wouldn't get that encouragement if I'm just sitting in a mm-hmm. in my room by myself. So I'm encouraged to hear other people pray. I am uh, encouraged when I get to hear stories of how God is answering prayer. Uh, and I'm encouraged by what the Spirit does just when His people gather together and the Spirit moves in our midst. So there's something, you know, in our world today which leans towards individualism. Mm-hmm. People are like, you know what, I can get enough of God just by myself. And I'm like, that is so contrary to what you see in Scripture because one of the ways that God displays His goodness is by showing up when His people gather. So corporate prayer helps unify. And then I also hear this element of almost like it helps broaden our view of God because we get to see God working through other people, which is not something I'd considered. Um, I think I just thought candidly that you got together to pray because uh, there's scripture about where two or more are gathered. They're so well. So I honestly, I go, I think I think my theology in an underdeveloped sense was somehow God hears our prayers better when there's more of us. Is that a common misperception that people have? Is that true? Well, I think James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's something to mm-hmm. gathering together and praying for one another. I mean, we we saw that with someone in our church family whose mm-hmm. child was severely hurt and people gathering together in fasting and mm-hmm. praying together. There's, you know, we... We prayed together as a staff, and I took a video, and I sent it to them. And what an encouragement for them to see. Hey, there was 200-and-something people praying for mm-hmm. you. You know, and for us to gather together, that's an opportunity for you to share. Caitlin, what what do you need prayer for? We can pray for that right now. And so it's a privilege God's given us to not just meet with Him individually, but to meet with Him alongside other mm-hmm. people in the spiritual family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, there's a long history in, in the church of of, uh, of of corporate prayer where it's not just, you know, the believers coming together and praying, but, you know, something called the pastoral prayer where the, where the pastor is actually praying with the congregation. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's a that's been a gift. And you can, if you're a big nerd like me and you like to read church minutes, uh, you can read these pastoral prayers that would sometimes be, it would be 10 minutes long. But they're uh-huh. praying for the sick. They're praying for the person who just had a baby. They're praying for the person who who just come to faith in Christ. Who are, you know they're about to be baptized and and join join the church. Uh, you know, or a person that's that's maybe lost a job and looking for a job. And and so it helps one kind of uh, rejoice and and then also make the needs known to the body. But but two, it instead of just one person praying, the the pastor is inviting the church together to to pray together, all in one mm-hmm. in one accord. Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of car like a Honda. Uh, it just means it just means it's one. And uh, you know, then you know, not only that, but 
you know, as as people are joining their their hearts and voices together, praying for these things. I mean, that's what a wonderful gift that is, right? It really pushes against the the individualistic. It's me and Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, and and it really settles us into the gift that is the body of Christ. That, that I am not only joined to Christ, I'm I'm joined to His body. We are members of one another, as Scripture says, and I'm and I'm joining with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and and we are man, we are warring together. As we as we ask God and we plead with God to do these things. Mm-hmm. All right. As we as we get towards the end of the episode, I want to finish out by talking about fasting because this is twenty one days of prayer and fasting. Talk a little bit about the connection. What's the connection between prayer and fasting? Tia, can you take that? Yeah, I mean, number one, it's just it's the model we see in in Scripture that people always paired prayer with fasting. But uh, you know what what prayer does is helps you tune in to your spiritual hunger. You know, it. you begin to look past the needs of your stomach to your soul, and then you get to communicate with God about that. You know, so I would just say that fasting puts you in a better posture before the Lord to, to commune with Him, to meet with Him. What fasting has done for me is it's just allowed me to to translate that physical hunger into spiritual hunger that ultimately, I mean, we see this in David, we, we see this in Paul. You know, I think about Philippians 3 where he's like, I want to know you. It's like, dude, you wrote the majority of the New Testament. You know him, you know, mm-hmm. and yet he wanted to know him more. And what fasting does is for me is it, it, it reminds me that, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That, look, my greatest need today is not physical. My greatest need today is spiritual but if but if i'm not careful i will believe the lie that life is just about the physical yeah yeah it's really few i can't think of another thing at least in my own life that 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 reminds me no other habit of grace reminds me of my dependence on god than mm-hmm. fasting because it you know every time your stomach growls right it reminds you my i i am so dependent upon food and it's it's a it's a you know it's a trigger that God's God designed and given us so that when that happens you know we we can take every time that stomach growls we feel that hunger pain we go to the Lord right and then remind ourselves like T A said man doesn't live by bread alone but but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and so a great spiritual practice as you fast is when you feel that hunger pain read God's word when you feel that hunger pain pray for someone mm-hmm. uh, when you breathe feel that hunger pain when you're going to feel the longer you fast the longer you're going to feel it but again it's going to remind you I am utterly dependent I want to be so dependent on God as I am for food mm-hmm. and it's it's putting that regular practice in your life that that uh, that reminds you and gives you that kind of habit of grace to remind you that that you are dependent on God are there any specific ways that either of you have grown in fasting over the years? Yeah, I mean, I shared about it when I spoke on Sunday, but fasting for me, I didn't understand that fasting wasn't just not eating. You know, so it's like, okay, I'm not going to eat for seven hours and it's going to be miserable. But to combine it with a spiritual purpose, then it it genuinely, it brings urgency to mm-hmm. what I'm doing. You know, as, as I've fasted for a spiritual purpose, it's like, this is a good thing that I'm doing because what it's doing is it's putting more heat on my prayers. I feel more urgency to pray. I know exactly what I'm asking God for. I'm I'm devoting more time and energy and thought to something specific that I, I, I'm asking God for or... It's kind of helped focus you. 
hundred percent. You know, so if I fast without creating space during that day to actually seek the Lord, it's a waste for me. Mm -hmm. You know, the worst thing I can do is say, okay, well, I'm not going to eat, but I'm just going to stack up my schedule so I don't have to think about it because I'm too busy. I'm just moving from meeting to meeting. That's dieting. That's not okay. That's not fasting. (laughs) You know. Yeah. But it's a very, very. I mean. We we've got a group. There's a there's a woman in our body that has cancer. She's in the ICU right now, and it's like there's a group of people. It's like we need to pray. Mm-hmm. We need to pray for her. We've got someone in our community group that's experiencing health issues and can't figure out what's going on. And someone in our group was like, "We need to fast for her." It's like, yeah, we do because that you know what it does is fasting just puts us in a posture of urgency. You know where it's like I'm hungry for God to show up and do something. In their life, and it sounds like it's been a unifying tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's People like we're all, we're all going to do it together. Yeah, yeah. There's been times, you know, in my own life where, where you know, I and I've told my wife, and man, I just I feel like in this season, I, I feel more uh, severely tempted in this particular area. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've just said, "Hey, we pray for me," and and I and I'm going to fast. And what that does is it really kind of it it gives me a clearer focus. Because as I, as as I'm feeling those hunger pains, as I'm as I'm feeling the you know the effects of of the fast, you know it reminds me in those moments pray, read God's word, uh, uh, pray for ways to fight against sin, right? To resist temptation, to put off sin, and to put on Christ. And then even you know fasting is is part of the story why why we are here. I just you know for two months. You mean here at Watermark? Here at Watermark. Your family? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just could not get clarity on on what the Lord would would have us do. And, you know, to stay in Louisville would have been great. To be here would have been great. And every other day was like, yeah, I could do that. And the next day I'd be like, why would we want to do that? And the next day I'd be like, yeah, I think we could do that. It was literally like every other day was yes, no, yes, no, mm-hmm. yes, no. And so, uh, you know, I told my wife, I was like, why don't we just pray, pray and fast for a period of time until the Lord and ask the Lord to give us clarity. And over the course of some time, the Lord gave us clarity and we both felt like this is where the Lord wants us. And and that that decision would not have come. The clarity for that decision would not have come apart from the habit of grace that God's given us. Mm-hmm. And we're so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. All right. As we close out, TA, I want to do a final word. If there's anybody in our body who's listening who hasn't maybe jumped in on the 21 days of prayer and fasting to them, maybe they're hesitant. They're like, I've never done that before. Or um, they're not maybe as interested. What would you say to them around the importance of why we're doing this together as a church family? Yeah, I I just think it's a it's a focused time for us as a family to all head in the same direction. You know that you don't have to do it on your own. Um, we get to all pull in the same direction. We all get to encourage one another. The church is going to help you along the way, and uh, and the end goal. I I promise you, this isn't a bait and switch. Like the end goal is just that we would enjoy more of God, that we would get more of God together. So that's the end goal. There isn't any other reason. And so, you know, if if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and someone's offering you the opportunity to just take steps towards more of God, you should probably consider it and take it. And uh, And if you're not jumping in, I would just ask, why not? You know, is that just a natural tendency in you to say like, I don't like anything organized. Like, I don't like being told what to do. Or is it just that maybe that's why you need to, to pray and fast is maybe there's there's something in your life, whether it's apathy or or something 
sin-wise that you're you're nervous that God's going to want to talk to you about it or or maybe you're really busy right now and this is exactly what you need. Like uh, something that God's been working on me on is that I've got this tendency because my schedule's really busy that I'm like I don't have I don't have time to spend extended time right now in prayer. I need to get going and I've been pushing back against that. Mm-hmm. Like no I'm going to fight everything in me that just wants to activate. The best thing I can do is just be with God. And God blesses that, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just say that to say, hey, it's 21 days. Yeah. You know, we're not asking for the year. Just jump in with us. And uh, if at the end of 21 days, you're not like, it was amazing, but you know what? You prayed more and you tried fasting. I would say that that's a win. All right. Well, that's all for us today. Thanks for listening. On a special note, if you want to join us for our 21 days of prayer and fasting, you can head to watermark.org slash pray to sign up for daily prayer prompts, get info about upcoming nights of worship, and find several additional resources related to prayer and fasting. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, have a great week of worship. Mm-hmm.